You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. It was Easter Sunday, 2020, and I was sitting here on the living room floor eating homemade jelly donuts, watching the Zoom version of church with all of you. Forefront Brooklyn, the community I helped start. The community where I found this truly deep sense of belonging and love and support in my life. It's because of Forefront Brooklyn that I met my husband, Bobby, at the first Christmas party at Jonathan and Juby's, before we even started the church. And when we got married, everyone was involved in throwing our Brooklyn wedding. You helped us welcome our first son, Aiden, and you prayed for us when our second son, Wyatt, was born. He's now a happy and healthy six-month-old boy today. And it was among all of you in Brooklyn that I found my calling into ministry, a calling that led our family to make the difficult decision to move here to Indianapolis a few years ago, where I could earn my Master of Divinity, something I never would have imagined doing. And now here I was one year ago at the start of a pandemic, Listening to Jonathan talk on Facebook Live about our first Easter as a church, I'm laughing and reminiscing with you all who I feel this deep connection with, and it made me realize that as everyone else was mourning not being able to worship in person with their church community, here I felt more connected to a worshiping community than I had in a really long time. When the rest of the world was just starting to truly deal with loneliness, I realized I'd become well acquainted with it over the past few years. Well, we have a small handful of really lovely, good friends here in Indy, most of my social support actually comes from virtual relationships. So aside from my husband and my boys, when it came to social connections, my life didn't change that much when the pandemic began. There's a deep stigma around loneliness, a shame that's attached to admitting that. It makes us think that if we're lonely, then we're not likable, and that prevents us from admitting our loneliness not only to others, but sometimes even to ourselves. Loneliness doesn't just look like the person sitting in the corner alone, though. It can manifest as sadness, anger, irritability. It can show up in different ways, like anxiety, low self-esteem, or a loss of sleep. And more and more researchers are learning just how much loneliness can contribute to trauma, violence, substance abuse, and a number of illnesses and diseases like diabetes, heart disease, strokes, and so much more. Maybe you know this feeling. Maybe you've never really articulated it, but loneliness is something that you've gotten to know too. Many of us feel isolated right now, but loneliness is something different from isolation. Loneliness is a subjective feeling that you're lacking the social connections that you personally need in order to flourish, in order to live fully and freely as God intended for you to live. It's a different level of need for everyone, and it can feel like being stranded, exiled, cut off from the people with whom you belong, even if you're surrounded by others. You can be alone in solitude and feel grounded and completely connected to yourself, and you can be alone And you can be in a room full of people and never feel so alone. I think this is something that New Yorkers know all too well. If you've ever cried alone in a subway car full of people, you may know what I mean. There's a very real and profound loneliness in our world right now. 
is the loneliness of empty chairs and missing faces. The rearranging of life because the one you planned on being with was taken far too soon. It's the longing for touch, for hugs, for people breathing with you, a sense of something bigger than ourselves. Here we are in this Lenten series, this feelings got me like, where we're talking about the feelings that drive us and the shame or stigma or cultural conditions that help to explain why we feel the way we feel. And what I'm learning is that this pandemic of loneliness that started long before COVID showed up, it's there at this really deep level beyond our understanding. And when we don't address it, we don't talk about it. It seeps into every corner of our society, our relationships, even our health. As children of God, we were created for relationship, but loneliness keeps us disconnected. Loneliness keeps us stuck in the wilderness. Let me explain by what I mean by that. Dr. Vivek H. Murthy, the 19th Surgeon General of the U.S., appointed under President Obama, he published this incredible book last year titled Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World. He's writing from the perspective of a doctor, caring for lonely patients throughout his career, but he's also writing as the child of immigrants, someone who understood that you can have deep family connections, but still feel loneliness when you can't make friends at school. I'm so grateful for his work because it's helping me to articulate the last few years of my life and to make sense of why I'm feeling anxiety as my family prepares once again to move, this time to Cincinnati, Ohio, the area where my husband grew up and where we hope we can plant roots and build the community that we're longing for, but where I know I'm going to experience at least some loneliness in the months ahead. In his book, Dr. Murthy writes, researchers have identified three types of loneliness that reflect the particular type of relationships you might be missing. So there's intimate or emotional, which is a loneliness that's a longing for a close confidant or an intimate partner, someone with whom you can share a deep mutual bond of affection and trust. And then there's relational or social loneliness, which is the yearning, yearning for quality friendships and social companionship and support. And then finally, there's collective loneliness, which is that hunger for a network or a community of people who share your sense of purpose and your interests. These three dimensions together, they reflect the full range of interconnection that we were created for. I believe human beings were created to be in relationship with God, with ourselves, with each other, and with creation. And when we lack any of these dimensions, it can make us feel lonely. This can help to explain why even when we have a supportive partner, we can still feel lonely for friends and community. And if we don't understand all three of these dimensions, then we can too easily confuse our feelings and cause problems in our relationships. One of the most helpful things that I learned about the origins of loneliness is that thousands of years ago, when we were hunter-gatherers, right, okay, being separated from our tribe, literally our tribe, so being lonely, it meant that our likelihood of survival just went down. We're more likely to get attacked by a predator or to have an unstable food supply. So our bodies read isolation or even the threat of isolation as an emergency. Over time, this hypervigilance in response to isolation, it became embedded in our nervous system. And that's what produces the anxiety that we associate with loneliness. When we're lonely, our bodies start to feel like we are lost in the wilderness, literally. 
We can't sleep as well because our bodies are on edge, ready to wake in case a predator comes in the night. Our vision narrows, our hearing is dulled, we become more forgetful. As our internal threat level shifts upward and our focus turns inward, it becomes we become really preoccupied with ourselves and our own safety. It's very difficult to empathize or connect with others, especially others who don't agree with you or who feel like a threat to your safety. Does any of this sound familiar from the past year? I spent a lot of time thinking about what the Bible has to say to us about loneliness. What scriptures could I turn to to help me understand what it is that I'm learning about this feeling? And a simple Google search will scream at you that that the Psalms are the place to go, but they just weren't doing it for me. I find more hope in the stories of Jesus as he heals people and he brings them into community. Like the lost son who is so lonely that he's eating with the pigs. And then he returns home and has this celebration thrown for him. But it's here in this passage, in the prophets, in Isaiah particularly, that I've preached on and I've returned to multiple times over the past two years that I wanted to revisit because I'm hearing it differently now. I think the people of Israel knew a thing or two about what loneliness does to us. The writer of Isaiah calls them the deaf and blind people of Israel, who've become so mired in their grief and their loss, so stuck in the wilderness and the wasteland that they can't see or perceive a way forward. Many scholars think that these prophetic writings were meant for the people of Judah who were exiled in Babylon, a time when our God seemed like a defeated God. As they looked around at their dismantled and devastated country, sacred objects stolen by the Babylonians, streets ravaged by war and destruction, their economy ruined, their agriculture spoiled, their cities destroyed. They had to learn forms of faith that would survive without visible props or temple walls. The tiny kingdom of Judah had lost their political independence, and now they were losing their religious and cultural identity too. It was hard to find hope among the ruins. Their faith was fading, so they were having a real hard time banging into any vision of salvation from this very defeated, depressing, disenchanting God. This was not their God of abundance. This was their God of the wasteland. And the one who's writing as the prophet Isaiah here, he knows that if there's any hope of holding on to his people, he has got to paint a new picture. He has to change their minds about God and bring them back to hope. Because he knew that without hope, it would be impossible for them to survive their oppressive situation. So he uses their historical memory to convince them. He calls upon their ancestors. He tells them of his confidence in the Lord and reminds them that Yahweh shapes and creates. Their God Yahweh saves and redeems. He tells them in 42.9, See, the former things have come to pass. I am the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. He's reminding them of the Exodus, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they're extinguished, quenched like a wick. Isaiah knew the power of stories, how stories can give us our identity, a meaning and purpose, how they can help us to find our people and our place in a lonely world. But one second, he's telling them, remember, remember. But then in the next, he's telling them to forget. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. 
Have you ever struggled to let go of something in your past? I mean, there are some things that I want to hold on to. There are things that I love. People, places, memories of belonging that I want to keep close to me. And when I'm lonely for someone or something, it's like my whole body conspires to hold on. Like when you wake up in the morning, hair messy, covers all over the place, and before you're even fully conscious, before your eyes are really awake, your brain gets these lightning-fast flashes, and for a second you believe your life is as it should be. That person, that place, that thing you love is still there, waiting for you to start the day. And then you remember the truth. One year into this pandemic, and even those flashes of light have faded. Now it's all too easy to wake up feeling like the four walls of your room are closing in around you. Loneliness and isolation have that toxic effect. To be deeply lonely, as a child or as an adult, it defines how you think about nearly everything, especially your own character. It has the ability to make you think that you don't fit in. Even worse, it makes you believe that you're not worthy or capable of being loved. It makes you question your self-worth as a child of God, and it keeps you from reaching out to others. Why should be nice to me? We wouldn't make good friends anyway. I don't want to go to that party. No one's going to like me. I'll never find love. I'll always be alone. Sometimes we get so stuck in our loss, so lost in our loneliness, that we're unable to see when good things are coming our way. According to the prophet Isaiah, the Lord says, See, I'm doing a new thing. I'm making a way in the wilderness. I think Isaiah knew something about how our brains keep holding us back. How our hearts keep pulling us back and that fear or that tension or longing for what used to be. But our God, our God is calling us to look forward. Our God is calling us to dream. And as we stand here reflecting on how one year ago, this week, the world began to shut down and all the tragedy that has followed. As we stand here in the wilderness of our loneliness and our loss, it's right to hold on to those memories. Those values and beliefs that give you your identity, but don't let them keep you stuck. Don't let your grief or your longing keep you from creating something new. So how is your God calling you in this season? Are there new streams, new rivers forming that you have yet to see? I like to wonder... How many bushes do you think God had to burn before a guilt-ridden Moses finally looked up and noticed one? How many times did Jesus have to repeat his words to Peter before Peter stopped apologizing and started dreaming about the church that Jesus was calling him to build? How many times do you have to hear something before you finally figure out what it is that God is calling you to learn? See, that's the thing about the wilderness. It's this liminal space where you find yourself poised between life and death. And sometimes it's where you're finally able to hear God and finally able to see things that you couldn't see before. Isaiah knew that when we feel lost, we need hope. And there's this biblical connection between hope and imagination. 
Biblical imagination it necessitates faith, but it's directly connected to hope because it makes us have to look at the actual challenge in front of us and imagine with others how that challenge might be different if we started to dream with God and partner with what God could do through us. The Archbishop, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu, he's a Nobel Peace Prize recipient, and he's the leader of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which helped to move South Africa forward after the end of apartheid. I've been an admirer of his for years. I got to see him speak, and the man just exudes joy and love and hope. And he's been my go-to guide in the past year, especially, for finding joy and hope in my own life. He says this. He says, to choose hope is to step firmly forward into the howling wind, bearing one's chest to the elements, knowing that in time the storm will pass. Hope is the antidote to despair. Yet hope requires faith, even if that faith is in nothing more than human nature or the very persistence of life to find a way. Hope is also nurtured by relationship, by community, whether that community is a literal one or one fashioned from the long memory of human striving, whose membership includes Gandhi, King, Mandela, and countless others, despair turns us inward. Hope sends us into the arms of others. Community is my passion. It's what drives my ministry. When we are grounded with God and with ourselves, it changes the way we engage. This is why it can be so powerful to find a community where we can genuinely interact and engage the deepest, most meaningful places within us. Because it's reciprocal. It fuels our sense of self-worth as we give and receive love. When I stepped up to help found and lead Launchpad Partners through our network of churches, I did it because I deeply believe in our human need for connection and because I needed that support in my own life. Loneliness can keep us stuck or it can drive us to create the kinds of relationships and communities that our world needs most. It can be the reason we reach out and see the new thing that God is calling us to see. I believe that if we build more communities, like Forefront, more people might find that deep sense of love and belonging that I found among all of you. I didn't step into leadership in Brooklyn because I wanted to be a minister who served God for the rest of my life. I became a pastor because I loved people of my community. I believed in who we were and what we stood for in our city. I believed in the redemption that I saw in my own life and the lives of the people I served. To love people and to bring them into the presence of God is what I got to do every day as one of your founding pastors. And I'm grateful for all the life it gave me, including my married life and the life of my two kids. And now as I find myself leading others who are searching for that same passion, that same kind of community in their place, in their context, I also find myself dreaming about having that kind of physical community around me again. One year ago, at the end of February, we somehow managed to make it out to Brooklyn right before the world started shutting down. And we stood in front of all of you on a Sunday morning and announced our plans as a family to move to Cincinnati to launch a new community. Little did we know that it would end up taking us a whole year to get there, but here we are preparing to move just in time for Easter. And my prayer is that this new season in Ohio, it'll be where the wilderness becomes 
lush, green, and full of life for our family, that we might be able to be a part of whatever it is that God already has going on there, that we listen and learn and work to live in a way that expresses an inclusive, just, and generous gospel message, to be the hope for the lonely. In the words of historian Kate Bowler, Kate Bowler, we can be the solutions other people crave. We are all doctors and we are all healers. Loneliness may be the disease, but we are all the medicine. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.